You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Back for Lundell. Lundell for Hirvonen and back for Lundell. In front of the shot, score! Simon Tyvel. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Masilo drops it back, loud by the same rebound, loose in front, Jordan Spence joins the lineup and scores the game's first goal. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men, presented by Manscaped, an official partner of the LA Kings. Thanks to this revolutionary company, manscaping accidents are a thing of the past. Just get yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Inside, you'll find products like their Lawnmower 3.0, which is advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't cut you. Everything you need to keep trimmed and smelling nice is in the Perfect Package 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KINGSMEN at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com, and use the code KINGSMEN. The 2021 World Junior Championship is underway, and your LA Kings have nine players in the tournament. Jack Jablonski is here this episode to help me break down the opening week of play in Edmonton. We are three days into the World Junior Championship, here to talk with me about that opening weekend. Jack Jablonski, how are you doing today, Jack? I'm doing good. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Boxing Day. <laughs> That's right, Boxing Day is huge. Very important holiday. Um, <laughs> and uh, heads up to Kings fans, of course, training camp will be opening at the end of this week. So we've got a little bit of time to talk about the World Junior Championship uh, before we start diving into both. Um, before we start getting into the Kings players repre- uh, represented in this tournament, Jack, I do want to stress uh, heavily, because I've seen a lot of people arguing with each other on uh, the internets about this. This tournament is fun, but ultimately I don't think people should take a whole lot away from how the guys perform in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I mean, I think you're right for the most part. I think where there is stuff to take away from is when maybe someone just drop, jumps off the page yeah. and just, you know, explodes onto the scene. If someone doesn't have a great tournament, it's not something I necessarily, you know, keep in mind because, again, a lot of uh, the situation has to do with who they're playing with, who they're playing against, how good their team is. Um, and this year is obviously extremely unique because there's a lot of players that wouldn't necessarily be here if we had an NHL season going on. So, um, yeah, it, it's not the end of the world if someone's not necessarily doing great. But at the same time, if someone's lighting it up, it's definitely something to take note on. Yeah, it's an opportunity to showcase greatness, but I don't think it's necessarily something that should be judged uh if, if there is that lack and part of the reason you, you touched on it perfectly and I've said it a number of times and just the way I'm about to it it is a tournament featuring a bunch of kids playing with a with a bunch of other kids that they've never played with before against another bunch of kids that they never played against before for a coaching staff who's never coached them before and they have a week <laughs> <laughs> to prepare for it now and I get some of these guys know each other and some of these guys have played each other but not on these teams not in this fashion um, and we'll get into the coaching decisions a little bit later. We're going to start off. Uh, there's nine players. We're going to start with Lukas Parjik. Um, he's played one game. It just finished up. You and I just finished watching Russia versus the Czech Republic. He was in net. Pitched a shutout. Now, Jack, I'm curious. I'm going to hit you with a little bit of trivia before we get into his game. Did you notice the announcers oh boy. talking about how much the Czech Republic loves to play against Russia? Yes, I okay. did. Do you know why that is? Because they mentioned it, but they never mentioned why. <laughs> uh, well, they didn't mention why. And as someone who's still young on this earth, uh, I know obviously it goes a little bit back with Czechoslovakia and Russia, but yes. I'm not totally sure <laughs> on the biggest factors that play into um, uh, the the reason that the Czechs love to play against the Russians. I'm, I'm no geopolitical expert, but I do know this. Uh, Yarmir Yager used to do a salute. Every time he scored a goal and he, oh, yes. and he wears number 68. And the reason he wears number 68 is because in 1968, the, the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia <laughs> as they were trying to uh, reform their government. And uh, Yager's grandfather died in the conflict between Czechoslovakia and the Soviet Union. Now, I don't know that any of the players on the current Czech roster 
care about that. I mean, I have to imagine they're at least peripherally aware of it. <laughs> you know, their grandparents would have probably um, <laughs> it, it experienced it. At any rate, the point is there, you know, at least within Yager's generation, there was still enmity um, and bitterness <laughs> for the, from the Czech people towards the Russians, although they were the Soviets at the time. Anyway, that's the backdrop in my mind every time the two teams played. And I was really excited to see if Borzik was going to get into net. And if he got into net, how he was going to do. Jack, how'd he do? Uh, he did phenomenal. He obviously yeah. pitched a shutout. And, um, you know, it, it is a little bit of that little bit of little brother, big brother matchup. And obviously this is, you know, I think it's fair to say that you know, the Czechs don't necessarily go into the tournament uh, thinking that they're going to win at all. But this is definitely one that they circle um, every year if they at least get to play them and they find themselves in the same uh, preliminary pool. Uh, with that said, I mean, it was impressive to see Parik. He was ex- Parik, um, as you like to say. Yeah. Um, and however, we're going to have 300 different pronunciations yeah. until we get him on tape saying it. Uh uh, but all in all, you know, when it comes to to his style, you know, I think the Czechs, after they caught the lead midway through that second period, um, you know, obviously adjusted their gameplay and the style by just not allowing anything in tight and, you know, sitting in a box and just allowing whatever happens on the perimeter to happen. And uh, that obviously paid benefit to Parjik. Uh, just him being able to, you know, just deal with, you know, not having to worry about second chances and, you know, traffic up the middle other than just, you know, his teammates blocking shots and trying to eat the puck for him. But all in all, you can't ask for anything better from him. You know, he played great. I know he had two starts last year and, um, you know, he had a great year in, uh, in the dub uh, up in the WHL for uh, Spokane. And it seems like he's continuously building and building off of each performance. Yeah, it's. You know, as I said, it's it's hard to take much away from my perspective anyway from these games. But if I'm going to really focus on one player and be happy with a strong performance, it's going to be a goalie, right? Because he doesn't have to worry about yeah. teammates or deployment or ice time or matchups. Like, he's out there the whole game. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, yes, he has to rely on his defense, but... <laughs> Look, a shutout is a shutout is a shutout, right? Like, that was great. Um, yeah, and I mean, against Russia, who obviously yeah. uh, I believe was second in the tournament uh, betting-wise uh, to win the whole thing. So, yeah. um, you know, again, you know, the Czechs are always going to show up against the uh, the Russians. They'd won three of the previous five preliminary games against them, and now four out of six. So, you know, credit to Prajik and, and the way he played, stopping, I believe, around 30 shots and... Um, by all means, you know, he wasn't the only one that showed up for the checks. And, uh, you know, without his performance, you know, who knows what uh, the game would have been. But, you know, credit to him. And playing against Askarov, who, of course, is the, you know, highly touted other goalie prospect. Um, so good yeah. for Perzik. Um, we're going to move on to Martin Kromiak from uh, Slovakia. He's played two games, got one goal, scored it. Uh, gosh, I'm already turned around. It's today, right? Against Canada. <laughs> Earlier yep. today? Scored today. All right. Yeah. <laughs> or yesterday when you're listening to this, I should say. Um, widely considered by most of the uh, commentators I've heard, the best player for Slovakia, you know, obviously scoring a goal is great. Look good. I don't know that there's much more to say than that. Yeah, you know, I, I think you look at the game itself that uh, the Slovaks played against the Canadians uh, and, and, you know, Again, you know, they're not going to have the puck on their sticks a whole lot. Canada obviously was the team that was going to be carrying the play and carrying the pace of play. But the Slovaks showed up and they had a great game. You know, they cut it to a 2-1 game uh, late in that uh, third period with uh, Chromiak's goal. And uh, he hasn't done too much, you know, outside of uh, the, the goal itself. You know, but again, you know, they don't have the puck on their sticks as much. And, you know, he has looked good. He's been around the puck, and he's definitely their focal point on the power play. So uh, it's a little interesting because he's he reminds me a lot of what Samuel Fagamo was last year on the power play. It just seemed like everything was going to him just to tee it up or get him an opportunity. And uh, he was able to cash in and take advantage of that with his, with his goal uh, late in the third to, to cut it to one against Canada. So, uh, again, he's someone who I don't know if we're necessarily going to be able to take a whole lot from on this, but it's definitely a, a great experience for him, uh, something that he's obviously going to um, remember for quite a while, just being that he's going up against such you know high talent 
uh, in terms of opposition with Canada and, and the group that he falls in. So, uh, hey, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But um, a goal for him against Canada is definitely something to remember. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting. He plays for Slovakia and obviously Parikh plays for Czech Republic. And those two teams are the sort of cutoff line, right? Like Austria, Switzerland, and Germany are not going to put up really strong showings in this tournament, right? It's it's great for them. It's great for the players that they get to participate. But as we saw in the scores in the first three days, and we'll get more into this later, those are the teams that are they're just going to get beat up on. Whereas Czech Republic and Slovakia, you know, obviously we see Czech Republic defeat Russia and Slovakia hangs around with Canada in a game that honestly early on it looked like Canada was going to pull away with. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and they didn't. So that'll be... It'll be interesting to see how those two nations turn out. Now we're going to get into the big five. Um, the States, Canada, uh, Russia, um, Sweden, and Finland. Sorry, we're not going to talk Sweden. about Russia that much because we don't have any players on them. But we're going to get to Finland. Kasper Simontavl, uh, one goal, two assists, and a plus three. I thought he looked really good in the preliminary game against the States, I think it was. And obviously scoring a goal um, in their, uh, their uh, round-robin game. What do we think of Casper Simontavl so far? I think he's done well. You know, the, the good thing for him is he's up on that top line. I think he was second and forwards both games uh, for time on ice. So something that, uh, you know, they have him playing in, in obviously the power play, but uh, all situations, which is nice uh, to see because I think the scouting report going in was, you know, he's definitely a guy who almost needs to fit into someone's top six to be effective. And, you know, while he's been able to do that with Team Finland here, um, it's good to see that he's been able to take advantage of that top line playing with Lundell and, and get the assist, uh, the primary assist to his goal, and then obviously uh, scoring on the power play as well in the slot. So uh, he's definitely that offensive juggernaut that we expected, uh, or at least the scouting report had all over it when uh, we drafted him, and, and so far, so good. You know, He's someone who's uh, an energy type of player, someone that's going to be around the puck and, and always creating offense, and so far we've seen that. So I think we've got nothing but good things to say about him so far. It's interesting. You know, we always say happiness is measured by expectations, and at least with uh, Pradeshik, uh, Kromiak, and Simon Tavel, they appear to be exactly the player that that was promised when they were drafted yes. right all the scouting reports and all the information everything that was told to us that the the eyeball test confirms everything we've been told right there's no surprises there they they look the perfect version of of how they were described um and that tic-tac-toe goal that Simon Tobel scored you know you can praise the two passers that set it up and and Lundell and obviously and and uh, blanking on the other gentleman's name but i mean it's a great play and Simon Tavel is in the exact right spot and buries it. But, I mean, it would be so easy for him not to bury that puck or to flub the pass. I mean, the passes, you know, it's three passes in under a second before he, he buries it. So, you know, you like to see that, obviously. Yeah. Um, like we said, an opportunity to show greatness. And a plus three is solid showing um, as well. Not that plus minus is a perfect stat, as we know. Um, moving on to Sweden, though, Tobias you, Bjornfoot. You've documented that. No. Well. <laughs> um, but Tobias Bjornfoot, it's tough, I think, in a, if, for to be a defenseman in a tournament like this because obviously the goalies have the opportunity to play the entire game and all eyes are on them. And obviously the forwards, especially in some of these lopsided games, can rack up a bunch of points or in the close games can have a big moment. Um, but Tobias Bjornfoot seems to have just played a perfectly solid respectable game he gets two assists and looks like he's doing the job that we all want him to do yeah you know i think it's interesting with uh with bjornfoot because uh like you mentioned it's not always a, a great showcase for say defensive defensemen or you know two-way defensemen that aren't necessarily th- you know, shoot and score first type of players. And that's obviously what Toby is. Um, but hey, he's got the A on his chest. He's on the top line, uh, top D pair with Philip Broberg, uh, who's a captain in the the first rounder from Edmonton a year back. Uh, all things have looked good. You know, he's been solid defensively and been great at just, you know, moving the puck and getting it to who it needs to be. Someone that, um, you know, I think something that stands out is, when uh, you were interviewing, um, and I'm blanking on the name, whoever the uh, 
the player from Penn, Cole Holtz's uh, interview that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked about how he's just a guy that you don't have to worry about. He's a guy that's going to get the puck there. You don't have to think about whenever he's on the ice because he's going to do his job. And that's exactly what Toby has done. And that's exactly who we expect him to be a lot. Like you mentioned uh, previously in terms of, you know, the scouting reports are fitting these guys to a T and uh, Toby, it seems that he's, you know, matured a lot from the AHL last year. I know that he uh, credits a lot of that to Paul Ledoux and Hey, by all means, I think we've seen uh, a more mature and a, a more physically sound and a little bit better of a type of player and just what we get overall. There's a bunch of you know highly regarded blue chip defensive prospects in this tournament: Bone Byram, Philip Broberg, etc. Um, but I was reminded, and it's you know it's a cheat because of the Swedish uh, background. But I was just reminded of Matthias Nordstrom, who was never going to be a 20 goal scoring defenseman. He was never going to be a, a you know a guy that put up a ton of points. But he was there next to Rob Blake's year in and year out, and they were a great defensive pair. And he was the captain of the Kings for I don't know how many seasons, seven or eight or something like that, and had a great career. Was a great player, and you know certainly not to that level. But also I was thinking of Braden McNabb, who was playing next to Drew, Drew Doughty the entire season. That Drew Doughty. Willie Mitchell comes to my mind. Yeah, guys who just aren't going to put up a ton of points, but are absolutely critical (laughs) for winning games. Um, And, you know, we're going to get into Brock Faber a little bit later, but if Cole Holtz or, you know, Tobias Bjornfoot, Brock Faber, all these guys, if you load up a franchise with guys like that, um, I know it's, it's rarer to find a Drew Doughty and somewhat quote unquote harder to find a Drew Doughty. But when it comes to building your franchise, I'd still rather you build a franchise with all of the crucial pieces in place and then adorn it with a star rather than starting with the star and trying to build the foundation underneath it. So I'm pretty happy. Well, I mean, that's what the Kings are doing right now. too. You know, we're in the process of trying to find those lock it down Mm -hmm. guys. Unfortunately, they're all at the age of 20 right now. And Drew Doughty (laughs) is been in a little bit of a, a spin cycle you know, over the last four or five years trying to find that partner since we've let go of McNabb um, to the to Vegas. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. We know how much Bjornfoot and Drew Doughty um, like to play with each other, especially Drew Doughty and the way he's talked about Toby Bjornfoot. So, you know, will this next year be the year? You know, to be determined, who knows? But He's definitely one of those guys who is a key type of defenseman when it comes to winning games and being able to make long runs and being able to allow guys like Dowdy or that more skilled, flashier, offensive-minded defenseman to be able to play his game and be as efficient as he wants to be. And, you know, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about King's training camp on this episode, but it does open next week. And last season, we had a little bit of out of sight, out of mind. Um, and it sort of bled over into the offseason with Mikey Anderson playing on the left side and now Oli Mata coming in and everybody raving about the improvements in Curtis McDermott's game. But I'd really like to see, uh, you know, Tobias Bjornfoot get a really long look. And I'm hoping that he's capable of maintaining a roster spot this season, because if he is, well, then great. That's one third of the left side of your defense that you don't have to worry about. And you're assuming Oli Mata. Is, is an Hopefully NHL for the next five ten years. Yeah, that's two thirds, and now now instead of relying on you know hopefully Curtis McDermott to continue improving into a, a stable NHL player and maybe a couple of rookies and maybe the, you know so anyway good good looks for Tob- Tobias Bjornfoot and we hope that continues. We're gonna get into Canada now, and we're gonna start with Spence before we dive into the Byfield stuff. So let's just focus on Spence right now. He's such a great story that part of me wants to believe that he'll succeed and be. Incredible, just because it would make the story that much better. Even yeah. though, even though I know that's not how it works, <laughs> I still want it. <laughs> hey, I mean, there are those stories out there, and you hope that Spence can be that guy. Where you know, born in Australia, lived in Japan for ten years, came to Canada, didn't really speak English, uh, so on and so forth, and now obviously he scores his first 
world juniors goal on his first shift on his first shot. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, what an amazing story, you know, credit to him. Obviously he's the odd man out when it comes to not being a first round draft pick yeah. when the whole roster is, um, I think every Canadian forward is a first rounder and then there might be, and then, uh, Vegas has a defenseman who's a second rounder yeah. and then he's the only other non first rounder, uh, rostered skater. So, Hey, you know, he's, he made an impact. He didn't play a whole lot today. He, I don't believe he even suited up in the first game, but, uh, regardless, you know, he takes advantage of the opportunity he's given with, Sh- uh, Schrader Schneider. I forget his name being, uh, suspended for the one game so moving forward it'll be interesting to see if he gets to stay on the roster and keep playing uh hard not to 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 like what you saw especially uh scoring a goal as a defenseman and not playing that much either so hey you know he's a great story as you mentioned he's played a great game and he's done everything right so far it's just a matter of will he keep getting the opportunities yeah and sort of bizarre that he he really didn't play much at all um you know i think I think the total time on ice was like less than five minutes, maybe for the game, or certainly less than 10. Um, makes you sort of scratch your head, but you know, it is what it is. And similar to Slingman Tavel's goal, you know, you could, if you wanted to, you could nitpick it and argue it and say, well, you know, just sort of potted an empty net goal after a scramble. And I mean, not if the goalie was out there, but he was nowhere near the goal mouth. Um, but to have the presence of mind to bury that puck, um, to have the awareness, you know, to to even think to shoot it with an open net like that, I thought it was great, and I loved his uh, loved his interview in the intermission where he gave kudos to his parents for living in Japan. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I just like the kid. He seemed like a lot of fun. Um, so that was, like I said, that was a lot. Well, of fun. I mean, he's a great story, and he's come a long way. And, and you know, from being a fourth round draft pick to just making this roster is a huge accomplishment in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. We know how deep some of the rosters for Team Canada have been in the past, uh, including, you know, when Jeff Carter was on it and so on and so forth, you know, but at the same time, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these guys in Team Canada play out. With that said, you know, just for the expectations with all these players and the hype around, you know, first round this, first round that, uh, he should be extremely proud of what he's been able to accomplish in just making the team. And uh, scoring a goal is something he'll have, and it's yep. not going anywhere. So good for him, and uh, see what happens uh, for him, him, you know, him and his situation moving forward, whether he's on the ice or not. Now I looked it up. It's five minutes and seven seconds for the whole game. <laughs> so there you go. 35 seconds in the third period. Um, but like you said, he's got a goal and uh, just, I'm going to keep hammering this point home. Every time we talk about him drafted 95th overall, which is the same place that Alec Martinez was. Um, so who knows? Hopefully he'll have uh, an NHL career in the same vein as Alec Martinez. Uh, that brings us yeah, to I mean, uh, overtime Stanley Cup winning. Yeah, goal no, exactly. Either. No, not at all. Um, In a that, Kings uniform. That brings us to Quentin Byfield. Um, and I want to tread carefully on this one because this is where I see all the fighting yeah. happening. Um, and this is why I prefaced the beginning of it by saying this tournament is an opportunity to showcase greatness, but. A lack of an impressive tournament shouldn't, I don't think, be interpreted as justifying any of the criticisms I saw of Byfield. Now, having said all that, um, I didn't think he looked great, (laughs) Jack. (laughs) I was disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, so the first game he played uh, was not impressive. You know, he, I believe, may have been one of the only players on the team that didn't have a point uh, in their 16-2 route against Germany. I think he wound up with uh, a secondary assist, but... Okay, maybe that was like on the 16th goal, but regardless, <laughs> yeah. uh, not not impressive. Uh, today, or I guess uh, the game against Slovox mm-hmm. was a little bit better. You know, the first period, I think we saw a little bit more of the same uh, in, in terms of just overthinking and not necessarily around the puck. Uh, the second period is where it started to get a little bit better. And the third period, I think we saw a little bit of growth. Now, uh I agree that this isn't something to necessarily overreact. What we do have to keep into consideration is he's still the youngest player on Team Canada mm-hmm. for the second year in a row. He um, is again, and that you know, it sounds like it might be an excuse. It's not. You know, these guys all have one extra year of uh, playing against this level of talent, and obviously, he broke out of the 
was it? Yeah, he was the O. Uh, he broke out of the O last year, and obviously that's where all the talk came from. And then he gets drafted second by the Kings, and and now obviously he hasn't shown up in necessarily the best way. Uh, I, but the thing here is, I sense a lot of internal pressure on himself, and mm-hmm. I think knowing that he didn't get off to the start that he wanted uh, without being able to put up a lot. Uh, of points or at least offensive opportunities in that first game. I think it's just one of those things where it's building and mounting on him. Now, you know, if he's able to to get on the scoreboard uh, here or there in the next few games, obviously it'll be interesting to see how that role develops. But he's on the third line center, um, and he's playing with two guys that have been great so far with Zary and uh, I forget the French name off the top of my head. Jacob uh, Pelletier. Pelletier, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that line has slowly started to build chemistry. I think it'll be interesting to see if it develops continuously over this tournament. But again, I don't think it's time to overreact. He's still 19 years old or 18 years old. And this is someone who is, we knew that it was going to be a little bit more of a project than maybe someone who is ready to step on the ice as a king centerman and put up 55, 60 points in their first year as a king. So, uh, by no means, I think we should be panicking at this point. And again, you know, he's in a, a situation where he's surrounded by talent, but he's also surrounded by a deep depth chart. And we'll see how many opportunities he can develop over these next few games. And this is why I include the third part of that uh, preamble to the tournament that I mentioned earlier, where there are a bunch of kids playing with a bunch of kids against a bunch of kids for coaches that they don't know and don't play for. The reason I bring that up is because Cole Perfetti, Connor McMichael, and Peyton Krebs are playing 17, 19, 16 minutes a night. Uh, Alex Newhook is playing 16 minutes a night. Dylan Cousins is playing 19 minutes a night. Jack Quinn is playing 15 minutes a night. Connor Zary, who you mentioned, is almost at 13, um, as is Quentin Byfield. But still, 12 minutes, 45 seconds. Jacob Pelletier at 14, 52. And even Dawson Mercer, who's not on his line, who's on the fourth line, is playing almost as many minutes as he is. And I don't know... Andre Torini, uh, Turing, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. I don't know what his game plan is i don't know how he's handling the players but you know it felt to me in that first game when he took the penalty um and he had very little ice time the rest of the way in that period it felt to me like maybe he was getting punished a little bit um he's excellent in the face-off dots but i would find it totally believable to say that this might be the first time in quentin byfield's life that he's being asked to play a third line role (laughs) Um, especially when you have guys like Cole. Yeah, I mean, yeah, aside from last year's World Junior Tournament as well when he was on the fourth. So, yeah, it's someone where, and again, like that's a just saying like, oh, well, he's on the third line. He should be doing fine because he's not playing first line minutes. It's extremely hard to transition and try to change your role, especially when you're dealing it with a brand new team. Now, Mm -hmm. He was a little bit late to getting into camp because of the COVID tests that were delayed. And by no means am I trying to make excuses. It's just a matter of going back to the point that you brought up of new line mates, new teammates, new this, that, yada, yada, yada. Yes, he's a returner uh, to the World Junior roster from last year, but he didn't really play last year. I don't think he had a shift in the the championship game against Russia. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but on top of it, that, it it's just it's a situ- yeah, it's just a situation where he's here for experience, and I think we need to focus on that. He's here to get an understanding of okay, here's how the big guys do it. Here's what it takes to win. Here's what it takes to train. Here's what it takes to be effective. Now, you know, you can say, well, he was here last year. You should already know that. Well, guess what? So were a bunch of other yeah. guys, and they're all <laughs> exactly. a year older. So at the same time, you know, a guy like Dylan Cousins, he was drafted higher and a year older. Uh, Or Cousins was drafted, I believe, sixth overall to Buffalo two years ago. But hey, he's a year older. He was on the team last year. He still played a vital role. It's not necessarily that he's just better. It's just because he's got more experience and he understands that he's got to be able to do what he needs to do to stay on the ice. Now, Byfield is in that area where he needs to learn. And he's, his game is still raw, and we keep forgetting that. So, um, again, not to be concerned. It's just a game uh, in terms of, you know, he got punished one game. Today he took a step forward, I think. Um, but I think it's just a slow project with him, and I'm not too concerned right now. No, I'm not concerned at all. And part of the reason 
that I am so vocal lately about disliking the draft is, and we'll just take Cousins for an example. Um, Cousins was drafted, what'd you say, sixth to Buffalo uh, last year? Sixth to Buffalo, I believe in. Okay, so let's say he is a sixth overall pick and Byfield's a second overall pick. That doesn't mean that Byfield should necessarily be, quote-unquote, better than Dylan Cousins. I'm not saying he isn't or is. I'm just saying somehow we have it in our head that every year the first overall draft pick will be equivalent to the first overall draft pick in every other year, and the second overall draft pick will be equivalent to the second overall draft pick in another year. That's not how it works. The 2003 draft was incredibly deep. The 1999 draft was incredibly shallow. So there's all this, I mean, you know, we keep hammering home the whole, you know, happiness is measured by expectations. The fact that this kid was taken second overall, as far as I'm concerned, is forever immaterial, right? The Kings drafted him. That's it. He's done. He's King's property. Um, I don't want to hear about, you know, what people expect out of a second overall pick, et cetera. I just, and it's, of course, magnified by the fact that Tim Stutzla, who is the only star on a on one of those countries that's just going to get you know pounded every game. So of course he's going to look great. <laughs> right? He has to. Um so I I want to avoid those sort of comparisons, but we're going to move on now to the states. Uh and just like Tobias Bjornfoot, we're going to focus on a defenseman first and Brock Faber had an incredible breakout pass to set up a goal, two assists plus 4 rave reviews, moved up the lineup, you know, acquiring more time. Um, you know the Faber family a little bit, Jack. He's a good Minnesota boy, so go ahead. I do. Rave about the Faber. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this kid. Uh, not only is he extremely mature for his age, but uh, for him to step in and from game one to game two, go from third line to uh, top line D pair with the captain, Cam York, is extremely bold. Um, because they trusted him and it's something that he's handled with ease. You know, he looks like he's in the right place. He's always in the right spot at the right time. And, you know, I think in that first game, there were a little bit of nerves defensively, which is his strength, uh, the defensive side of his game. He was a little bit out of place. And I think just, you know, big, you know, big moment type of thing, you know, and then all of a sudden you see the adjustment throughout the game. And then obviously Russia ends up winning that game four to three, but Hey, he's a, as you mentioned, he's a plus in the stat line, which as Jesse continues to mention, that doesn't say everything, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, he's got two assists and, you know, he moves the puck extremely great. He falls into that same category as, uh, as Bjorn foot and Cole Holtz, as we mentioned, uh, from previous podcasts of a guy who is someone that you just don't need to worry about. He's a guy who's going to make the right breakout pass. He's going to make the right outlet. He's going to shut down your top line or he's going to be able to make an impact or a dent in you know, keeping your best players off the score sheet as much as possible. Now, Faber, uh, for being a second-round draft pick, is is blossoming, I think, in this tournament, and he fits right in with everyone else that he's playing with. He had that great outlet pass. As one of the younger players. Too. Yeah, that's right. He had that great breakout pass that uh, we mentioned earlier, and it really was great. Um, but he also had a – he broke up a, one, a, a two-on-one uh, against Finland, where I honestly thought Simon Tavel was about to get the goal, and I didn't even notice it was Faber in the moment because I was so focused on Casper Simon Tavel. Because I had, I had, I had remembered, yeah. like, okay, these are the numbers that everybody's wearing. And so I saw the 29 on Finland, and I was like, oh, okay, great. Here we go, two-on-one, you know – Let's see what he's got. And then the, you know, the American defenseman broke it up. And I was like, oh, that's a great play. All right. And then it was only five or six minutes later when I happened to check Twitter that I saw everybody going favor with an incredible play. And I went back and looked. And sure enough, that great play was done. But I just I missed it at the moment that it was who he was. Um, I, yeah. you know, well, this... I mean, just to continue on the favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry to interrupt there. No, just no, to sorry. continue. He's had a great start at the University of Minnesota. And uh, I think it going into this tournament. There was a great sense of belonging and comfort because he showed up to Team USA with two other University of Minnesota defensemen in Jackson Lacombe and Ryan Johnson, uh, Craig Johnson's son, uh, one of the development coaches here for the Kings. So and longtime King. Well, you know, Mm. good amount of time. King. (laughs) And uh, so I think, you know, the comfort level is there with the kid. And, you know, he's someone who's extremely mature beyond his years off the ice as well. And I think he's just taken it in stride in terms of understanding what he has to do to be able to continue to excel at the highest level 
level of hockey for this age group. So, you know, by all means, Faber's been great so far. I think he's been uh, probably one of the two or three brightest spots for the Kings so far. And, you know, again, we're two games deep, essentially, for most every team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, hey, he's made a great impact so far. And, you know, as a first-line D pair with Cam York in his first year uh, on the team, I think that says a lot about who he is as a player. His strong performance makes me only that much sadder that uh, Helge Granz didn't make the Swedish team because we have Spence and Faber, both right shot defensemen. If we had had Granz, we could have been hypothetically looking at the right side of the Kings defense, you know, eight years from now, whatever it is. Um, But (laughs) but as you said, a bright spot for Team USA. That's going to bring us to Arthur Kaliev. And I'm going to pitch a theory to you, Jack, because I was talking to my dad. uh, Sorry, my dad a lot about Arthur Kaliev. And he's got two assists, he's plus two, and they haven't really had a difficult game yet. So I want to stress, again, that we did at the beginning, I don't think there's a lot to be gleaned from a game that you win 8-1 to one or 16-2 to two or some of these blowouts. Like, there's all these raves about, oh, what great board play by so-and-so or what an amazing pass by so-and-so. And it's like, <laughs> it's 16-2 to two or 8-1 to one or whatever. Like, you know, I remember pl- the first competitive hockey game I ever played, I picked up the puck at the right hash mark curled around behind the net and fed a no look backhand pass across the crease to my buddy who buried it and we went nuts and then our team captain pulled us aside and said hey the guys we're playing against have literally never skated before so calm down and we were like, <laughs> all right so i mean like you know again all, all of this with a with a grain of salt but having said all that here's my theory about arthur kellyev in this tournament obviously trevor zegris is getting a ton of print and a ton of rave reviews and I feel like having Zegris on a line with Kaliev makes Kaliev almost redundant and will lead to him being ignored by his teammates, right? Like Turcotte's getting in there dirty. He's making all the plays. We'll talk about him in a second. Zegris is carrying the puck. And ordinarily, you'd want a puck carrier and a playmaker who can find Kaliev open on the far side. But since Zegris obviously likes to shoot and can obviously do it incredibly well... There's like almost no need for Kaliev, and so no disrespect to him, but I feel like that might be why he's sort of disappearing in all of the conversations and sometimes on the ice. I'm not sure that that's the best uh, forward line for him to be on. What do you, am I crazy or am I just making excuses? It's an interesting point you bring up because I haven't necessarily thought about it that way until now, and I can see where you find that. Um do I think you're right or wrong? I don't know yet, so I'm going to have to talk sure. this out as we go. <laughs> sure. But at the same time, you know, you, you go into last year's World Junior Tournament and uh, Turcotte, Zegras, and Kaliev were also a line that started at, uh, as a trio. Now, I believe it got broken up a little bit because of the dysfunction of Team USA and the disappointing mm-hmm. outcomes that they ended up with last year. But uh, – uh, we both know that uh, Zegras and Turcotte are very, very close, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. Right. Uh, you know, close, close friends and, you know, can finish each other's sentences and know exactly where they're going to be on the ice. Now, I think Kaliev is a little bit of a third wheel um, in terms of this line because you have a guy like Zegras who wants the puck on his stick. And then you have a guy like... Turcotte, who is happy to go in, do the dirty work, and move it around. But then you find yourself with a guy like Arthur Kaliev, who is money when it comes to the offensive zone, but not always the guy who should be holding on to the puck in the zone. A guy that's much better at finding himself at getting open, finding the crease within the back door, this and that type of play. And I think we've seen a little bit of a buddy-buddy team up with Turcotte and Kaliev you know, banking more on each other because of their familiarity and a duo opposed to a trio on the ice. Now, uh, Kaliev, I thought in the first game looked a little bit slow, which was a little disappointing, but at the same time, I thought he improved that, uh, when they played, um, Austria in game two, because they were all over him, frankly, (laughs) but I think it was the loss, uh, the loss to Russia was a little bit of a wake up call for everyone as well. Now, uh, and, and as you mentioned, we'll get to Turcotte here in a second. But I think Kaliev himself uh, has just not found himself open or at least found himself the chemistry um, on that top line in you know being able to get to the open slot or get to the, you know, the scoring chances with the puck near him or around him so far. It was actually the power play that made me 
have the thought because every time I'm watching I, it, I also don't like where he is on that power. Well, play. that's that's what made me think about it because I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, the dude. And I I even asked Nelson Emerson about it when we had him on All the Kingsmen Live because I had read an article from ESPN, my fault for giving the yep. ESPN for hockey coverage, where they listed Kaliev as a left winger. Which is right, the, the default lazy thing to do. He shoots left, he's a left winger, but he's not. He's, he's not. a right winger. He's always a right winger. And there he is on the power play at the left faceoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's driving me nuts. But then I realized, oh, in the spot where Kaliev would normally be on the power play is Zegris. So if the coach, yeah, that's the problem. If the coach likes Zegris more than Kaliev in that spot and in that role, it's not necessarily a knock on Kaliev's ability. That he's being taken out of it. It's just. It's they, not. Let's. They clearly all like All things Zegris. are pointing to. Yeah. I mean, all things are pointing to Zegris going. Deserving to be a higher pick yeah. than I think 10 that, that he was in 2019. Uh, where should he have gone? That's, you know, to be determined. But the same time is, is uh, if Zegras is the guy that they want in that slot, it's not always the best move to just move, you know, the guy across the ice because right. it's not where he's played. The familiarity isn't there. And, and again, like I understand that this kid is, you know, Artie is one of those players who has been at the top of his game and has lethal scoring ability, especially over the past two, three years. You know, he's lit up the O uh, in the CHL and he's someone who has a rocket of a shot. Uh, we slowly started to see that shot come alive in game two against uh, Austria. Uh, now, you know, there's still two more games to be played within round robin. And obviously Team USA will be moving on to the to the knockout stages of the quarterfinals. Uh, who they play and how much opportunity he gets is obviously something that's going to be up to him and his line mates and obviously the coaching staff as well. But, you know, take into consideration... Uh, him not being in his normal go-to spot on the power play and uh, not touching the puck as much as maybe he's used to uh, in five-on-five play. And I think you have to take that with a grain of salt, understanding that, okay, yeah, this isn't necessarily the ideal situation for him right now, but hey, maybe the chemistry gets back on track in game three and game four, and maybe that power play gets resolved. They move him around, they find him another spot, and you know maybe he can be a little bit more effective there as well. I mean, it's just one of those wacky things about this tournament. And I feel like Byfield is suffering from the same thing where it's like, if I'm the coach yep. of Team Canada, you're right. There's all these older guys who are you never going to have another chance to play in the tournament. Right. You, there's they pressure have too to. Many assets. Yeah. There's pressure to favor them. And if you're the coach of Team USA and you've got a guy like Zegris who obviously, right, has that thing going on, whatever you want to call it, then yeah, okay, you favor him. Anyway, that's going to bring us to Turcotte because. Well, Kaliev may be, you know, a specif- a, a, a specialized asset, right? Who's got one tremendous skill. Watching this tournament, um, I really love Alex Turcotte, and I love the way he plays. And I can completely understand why anybody would watch him and go, "I didn't do anything. I'm not interested." Like I'm just, <laughs> but I don't care. I he just this is a dumb story, and I'm sorry to tell it again. But there was a trade the Kings made to get Kelly Buckberger from Atlanta, I don't remember how many years ago, but the Kings were not good at the time. And I remember the first game I watched Kelly Bookberger play, and it was perfectly clear to me in that first game that Kelly Bookberger, while not flashy or a great shooter or terribly fast or strong or bit, you know, any of those things, knew how to play hockey better than anybody else on the Kings roster at the time. And and you just went like, oh, yeah. okay, that's a hockey player, right? We have guys that are fast or that can shoot or that can hit, but we don't have any hockey players. And to me, Turcotte looks like a hockey player, and I, and I love watching him play. The first person that comes to my mind when you make that description is John Madden, right. uh, Tyler Madden's father. Yeah. Uh, I think he won the cup three times, twice in Jersey, one with Chicago or vice versa. And... Uh, Turcotte's a very now I think Turcotte is much more skilled than John Madden was <laughs> yeah. um and probably Brookberger or whoever the hell you yeah, just said Kelly no offense yeah. to him <laughs> no it's fine um, <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> it's just I think Turcotte falls into that same place where he's a guy who knows where the puck is going to be knows how to get the puck and knows how to be efficient I think he struggled in the first game against Russia I think he had a much better game against uh uh, against um, Austria, keep forgetting who they played yeah. the game to. Uh, granted, we've watched like 16 games in the last three mm-hmm. days, but uh, it's 
I think Turcotte is a guy who is going to continuously be around the puck and continue to put up points. It's just he's not necessarily the flashiest guy. Uh, Zeros is a little bit more flashy, but again, they both produce uh, a great amount of offense and a great amount of all-around play. You know, he's a two-way centerman. He's someone who's going to be defensively extremely important in the in the D zone around the net and obviously behind the net, preventing opportunities against your top line, which is something that I think can't go without being emphasized. You know, he's not going up against a third line or a fourth line of Austria. He's always going up against that top line. So he's got to deal with that on the defensive side and then obviously create opportunities offensively. You know, Kopitar's been doing it for years and obviously you can see how it can take a toll at times. Now Turcotte uh, played better, I think, in game two. And it, it's something that I think it, it gives, you know, Kings fans something to be happy about uh, when it comes to the future of, of Turcotte and, and the Kings roster. You know, when will that be? We don't know. Obviously, he signed his entry-level contract, um, I believe, the day of COVID and yeah, yeah. <laughs> the shutdown of NHL. But, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, it's something to keep an eye on because he's got the A on his chest as well. And uh, by all means, it seems like he deserves it so far uh, in terms of his leadership and on-ice commitments. I'm going to compare and contrast Zegers and Turcotte real quick, and it's not meant to be a criticism of Zegers at all because, gosh, he's fun to watch. Um the plays that Zegers are, is making that are that is garnering him all of this, you know, rave reviews and and fan response, they're plays that happen when the opportunity opens up for somebody to make a play like that, right? Like playing against Austria, you know, and and winning eleven to nothing. Yeah, you're going to have these moments where you get to to shine and and look impressive. And playing in a preliminary game against Finland where there's nothing on the line, right? The pressure is going to be not as high, and and you're going to have these moments. Um. But the plays that Turcotte's making that I love are the kind of plays that will translate to a tougher level of competition, right? Like Zegris can shine and, and look fancy against inferior competition. The question is, how's he going to look when he's about to get trucked by a six foot four NHL defenseman, right? And there's a third line, you know, of, of right, incredible defending forwards smothering him, trying to take the puck away from him. Whereas Turcotte, the plays. Just little plays, right? Like handling the puck at his feet, getting the puck out of a crowd, winning a board battle, making a short pass when he has less than a second to process where his line reads are. Those little things that make me think, okay, it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter who your opponent is, and it almost doesn't matter what's happening in the game because that decision is so small, and and the amount of time you have to make that decision is so small that it speaks to a skill set, like I said, that I just think translates. He's is more likely to translate better, quote-unquote, than a guy like Zegris, where you go like, okay, he looks incredible against kids, but I have no idea how he's going to look, like I said, when he's about to get blown up by a huge defenseman. (laughs) I think I I do like the description when it comes to he is someone that uh, has the skill set and the gameplay that translates to higher levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zegras... I also think has equally the the skill sets and the the game plan and uh, the mindset that can translate to higher levels as well. They're two different players, obviously. Yep. One's a little bit more flashy than the other, um, but they're two different positions. And the Kings are looking at someone who can be an end-all, be-all on the ice in all situations where obviously Zegras might not be that type of guy. Uh, but they're two different players, and the Kings drafted one that is Mr. Consistent, Mr. Reliable, uh, and someone that's going to be able to to be trusted in all situations of the game. Um, this is a Kings podcast, so I don't think we need to break down Zegras' <laughs> no, game no, too much don't. more. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, bringing it back to Turcotte, you know, I, I like what we've seen. I think we've seen a lot of growth from him from his time last year through Wisconsin and into this year. Um, so I'm interested to see if he can continue to pick up where he left off against uh, Austria and his ability to impact that game a little bit more so than he did necessarily uh, in, I wouldn't say lack of impact against Russia, but obviously, you know, his visibility on the ice uh, was, was a little bit more in the, in the Austria game. So Hey, it'll be interesting to see if he can, can keep that up when they get it to, to Finland and 
or no, they play Sweden. Sorry, Sweden and um, the Czechs. Now that the Czechs have obviously knocked off Russia too, so those are two games that uh, are coming in big, and it'll be interesting because it's going to pay uh, be a very interesting seeding situation in that group. Yeah, and obviously, you know, at some level, these games don't matter till the medal round because, you know, like I said, you've got Switzerland, Germany, and Austria that don't figure in to to make those rounds. Two of those teams, anyway. Um, I do want to just hammer one last note before we go. We've got to wrap up. Um, and that is, you know, for all of the hand-wringing and worrying about where these guys are in, the, in their respective fields and, you know, and how they look and how they're doing, let's just take a guy like Turcotte. And I'm not suggesting that this is the ceiling of his career. But with Andrzej Kopitar still with plenty of years left in his career, with Gabe Velarde appearing to be on the, you know, verge of, establishing himself as a regular NHL center with Quentin Byfield with you know Tyler Madden with Akeel Thomas if Alex Turcotte's ceiling and I'm not saying it will be but I'm saying if if his ceiling is the best third line center in the NHL great fantastic <laughs> you know <laughs> Turcotte, it's such an interesting situation with him because you've got a guy like Kopitar who's still in his prime, obviously the back nine, but by no means has he slowed down. And then you've got a guy like Velarde who has found himself and granted small sample size of just 11 games, but someone who exploded onto the scene uh, last year. And then you've got a guy like Byfield who obviously we just addressed and not the, the hottest start to his 2021 world junior championships um but someone who has high expectations as well there's three centers and then you've got a fourth center and another first round pick so you've got four first round picks uh, including kopitar who obviously is more than a decade older than all of them um i think but uh, give or take and uh and then yeah and then the other three first round picks uh from 17 19 and 20 so Hey, by all means, it's it's going to be a shootout when it comes to who gets those spots in the years, you know, coming up. But at the same time, it's it's a good problem for the Kings to have. Uh, so far, uh, you know, the Kings leading the way with nine prospects in the uh, in the World Juniors, tied, I believe, first in the NHL. Uh, something to be proud of, and something that uh, is a good situation for the Kings to be building off of, given their roster situation right now, and and something that uh, we hope to see some of these names sooner rather than later. Yeah, and all of them with a point, right? At least one, uh, except for uh, Paterjik, obviously, who had the shutout. So that's as good as a that's as good as a handful of points. I would. That's I would better. Point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, all in all, good showing for the Kings. We are going to come back at the end of this week uh, in between the um, preliminary or not the preliminary, but the round robin games and the uh, in the medal round. We're going to recap the whole tournament uh, up to that point. And of course, we will uh, bring coverage in between the quarterfinals and uh, the semis and the finals. And we've got training camp, everybody. So um, look, <laughs> Still a lot of questions out there in the world to be answered about what kind of access will be allowed and what kind of coverage will be allowed. But we're going to do our best to bring you as much of it as we can. Um, I know we've been sort of slacking off. It's my fault a little bit on the episodes uh, over the last month or two as we've been sort of waiting to find out what's happening. But looking at my calendar, there's a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts coming up. So stay tuned here at All the King's Men. And thank you for joining me, Jack. Happy to be here. Good Sorry. to be back. And Kai, uh, hey, Kai we got way. some hockey to talk about. Yeah, Kai, I've got there. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.